<laughs> Good. So I'm recording, so I'll just let the audience know that Sam's audacity Hello. has just crashed already. Here we go. Here we go. Here we go. It's just dusty. It's dusty and rusty. It's been two months. It has been two whole months, hasn't it? Christ. Jesus. <clears throat> Sorry, a bit coffee. Yeah? We're like the anti... Okay, so you... <laughs> I was going to ask you about your COVID status. <laughs> yeah, clear. I'm clear. Don't worry. <laughs> Uh, we're, we're like the anti-Cliff Richard, aren't we? Although anti-Michael Bublé. We disappear at Christmas time. Exactly. I feel a little bit like Adolf Hitler at the Nuremberg rally. You know, <laughs> I say I'm going to be on stage at seven, but I'm just I'm I'm going to wait. I'm going to hold out. I'm going to build the anticipation in the crowd. Get the audience simmering. <laughs> yeah. Two months off, and then release it. Crikey! What a flood! Release your Goebbels. <laughs> <laughs> Empty those goebbles. <laughs> no. <laughs> and then, I don't know, I was trying to get something rimming in out of Himmler. <laughs> rimming related. Rimmler, yes. Hello and welcome. That's the tone, folks, if you've never heard <laughs> an episode of That Was Genius before. This is the tone. <laughs> well, the Germans were all about anal play, weren't they? Because they did march right around the Vagino line <laughs> and attack France from the rear. <laughs> hey. hey. <laughs> Woof. Oh, it's good to be back. Hello and welcome to That Was Genius, the little history podcast in which Tom... Hello. Two months older than we last spoke, you can hear it in his voice, and Sam, and just an eternity older than when we last spoke, discuss history stories on a theme roughly once every two months. The topic is decided roughly two months ago, <laughs> and when we will reappear is a surprise. Boo! What's our topic this week, Tom? Trains. It is trains, it is isn't trains it? This week, yeah. yeah. Can't believe it took me this long. Top... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, no. Ripping well, the door week down. We're doing Sam and Tom week. Oh, don't uh, don't ruin it. Oh, I feel like it's double Sam week. <laughs> double Sam fortnight. Yes, this is it's a Sam sandwich, Sam week, isn't it? Oh yeah, well it Sam's... is. Oh god, that's a horrible thought. <laughs> <laughs> Sam sandwich. <laughs> oh dear. God. Thanks for that. <laughs> you should be so lucky. I've, I've never clenched my butt cheeks quite as well. That was like the ultimate glute workout. <laughs> so it's trains this week. It is trains this week. I'm actually not really doing trains much. <laughs> oh, really? Yeah. I mean, is it, is it, are you doing modern history? Because there's a topic that lends itself to modern history, doesn't it? it? Yes, trains does lend itself to modern history. I, yeah. I am doing modern history, yes. Well, I've thrown a curveball in here. I felt like I, I needed to go back in history, back further in time, because I've done a lot of modern history in our last few recordings, not the last few weeks, because the last few weeks I've been eating mince pies yes. and smearing Christmas pudding all over my forehead. So I'm talking <laughs> about the the Diolkos. Oh, I better not tell about, anyone just yet. Talk about tradition. Sorry. <laughs> yeah. I'll have to bleep that out. <laughs> Sorry. So long-standing I... members of the audience will think that was a Nelson Mandela impression. <laughs> Usually the only no. thing that warrants a... <laughs> a bleeping. Mm. Yes, it's trains this week, and as Tom has already slightly let slip, just to, to help us prepare for the next few weeks, we've, we've started lining up episodes already, episode topics. This is going to be a public episode, so the next patron one is going to be about Tom's and Sam's. I'm doing, uh, and I think this was a patron suggestion, I'm doing Tom, and Tom is doing Sam, purely platonically. And... <laughs> I can't remember whose turn it is to go first. But now, did you say that you wanted me to go first? I didn't, but since you're trying to gaslight me into it, you might as well. Why? Because my last contribution had no history in it whatsoever. Carney, what was your last contribution? It was a very long time ago now. I can't remember exactly what it was, but I do remember that it really was very history light. 
It was like the sort of beer you have when you've got to drive home. It's like a core. It was a cause light of uh, history yeah. podcasts. Let me, let oh, me... it was bad sex. It was yes, bad sex yes, in that's literature. Bad sex in literature. <laughs> that's right. Yeah. But, yes. yeah. There's zero history in that. No, I don't know. there's a couple of biblical quotes. That's right. Yeah. <laughs> About someone seamlessly someone dovetailed throwing in. his daughter out into the streets of Sodom to be attacked by a large group of horny males who were, I believe, in fact, trying to fuck Jesus. They uh, were no. It was it was a couple of angels who popped by. Oh, that was right. A couple of angels. This is this is classic Sodom and Gomorrah. Isn't yeah. It? Always Crikey. got angels hitchhiking past. Yep. Just All the looking locals. for a quiet motel. Yep. Locals looking for a bit of angels delight. Yeah. <laughs> right. I'll go first then. And today, Tom, I'm taking us on a journey Anal to Australia. Gabriel. Does that work? <laughs> Yeah, why not? <laughs> Touch my glowing ring. Well, Tom, today I'm taking us to Australia. Good day, mate. I sounded quite Jimmy Savile, that. <laughs> golden ring. <laughs> Come and touch my golden ring. Jingle jangle jewelry. Jingle jangle jewelry. For fuck's sake. <laughs> well, Tom, today I'm taking us to Australia. And an odd quirk of history... So some of our Aussie listeners will know about this already, but for the rest of us, this is a pretty bizarre and fascinating bit of Australian nostalgia. I'm going to be talking about the old Australian camel trains and how they went on to help build the railways and indeed ended up building a famous train which got named after them. Ooh. Is it the camel train? It's Named uh, after the camel train. It is, yeah. <laughs> Was obviously was of course made famous by Australian 1980s funk band The Camel Train, who once yeah. rode the Camel Train named after the Camel Train, cool. which was of course made up of camels, which were trained. Yeah, 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 yeah. The train was driven by Mr. Camel Train. It was well. driven by Johnny Camel Train. Yeah, who smoked camel cigarettes. Yeah, yeah. We've mentioned camels in Australia before with the ridiculously badly planned and disastrous Burke and Wills expedition of 1860, which saw a load of Europeans with drunk camels drag large pieces of furniture across Australia before (laughs) eventually dying of starvation because you can't eat a fucking wardrobe. That was episode 20, all the way back on episode 20, over 100 (laughs) episodes ago. How desperate do you think they got before they started trying to find Narnia? (laughs) Come on! Try again. It was a nightly entertainment. There's got to be a form somewhere in there. Might not have much meat on him, but there's got to be a form. We could eat him. Anything goes in the outback. Turkish delight. That was just one of the one of their aides in a costume. That, that was the Ottoman person that came on their expedition, <laughs> Turkish delight. That was his stripper name. So... <laughs> Again, you've got to entertain yourselves, haven't you? You've got to keep morale up on you these do. expeditions. But the, Regular uh, strip shows. <laughs> and trying to sodomise a man dressed as a fawn in a wardrobe. <laughs> just, pub- just public school banter, Tom. It's just public school banter. So, the Burke and Wills camels weren't actually the first camels in Australia because in 1838, a full 42 years earlier, Joseph Bruce and John Gleeson bought out 18 of the first camels with their Asian guides to use for exploration and as pack animals. Now, Hold on, what the fuck have they got Asian guides for? <laughs> they, know, they know no more about Australia than anyone else. <laughs> if you go to Asia, really useful. Yes. If, you go- <laughs> if you're not going to Asia... <laughs> Try some Australian guides. 
Oh no, you're busy trying to hunt them into extinction. <laughs> yes. <laughs> extinction probably being a bad choice of words because they are a human. Yes, genocidal. Um, That's better, yeah. So in 1840, a camel called Harry, Harry, became the first to arrive in Port Adelaide, but unfortunately had to quickly be put down after accidentally shooting his owner, John Horrocks. Wow. <laughs> in what must be... Yeah, I mean, that's probably the most Australian thing I've ever read. Camel <laughs> accidentally shoots owner John Horrocks. Whilst he's sitting center, on a dunny. While well, he's sitting on a dunny in the centre of Adelaide. <laughs> so apparently it was during a duck hunting accident. Moral of the story, never trust a camel with a gun. But whilst the camels brought in for the first trips to the Australian outback were busy murdering their owners, or being kept smashed on rum in order to stop them running away and fighting, the idea of importing camels to Australia didn't die unlike Burke Wills and John Horrocks. <laughs> By the mid-1860s, Australia was starting to open up. Towns were springing up around the coast and further inland, and a way was needed of moving sugar, beef, cotton, booze, gold, spiders, Kylie, and all the other lovely things <laughs> Australia has to offer around the country. Horses... Oh, sorry, I forgot casual racism. Let me just doodle that into my script. Horses and donkeys were a bad idea. Skulls of aboriginals. That's how I there. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Without consent, the bodies of aboriginals. Yeah. Yes. Horses and donkeys were a bad idea because they're quite fragile and very quickly found themselves dead in the outback. Oxen, likewise, didn't do well. So huge numbers of camels began to be imported to Australia, along with expert camel handlers from British India, who were, because the Australians love nothing more than a little casual racism, all referred to as Afghans or Gans. Now, I wonder whether this is... Co so, in New Zealand, a popular type of biscuit is called an Afghan. And yeah, yeah, almost it's certainly. It, it's, it obviously has some sort of imperial origin. Because mm. you would call a biscuit now an Afghan, based on the fact that it's brown, would you? Um, no. I don't think you'd get away with that, but anyway. <laughs> what's, what's, what is an Afghan biscuit? What's in the centre of it? Does it have a delicious, gooey, explosive centre? <laughs> It's very difficult to get a packet that hasn't already been corrupted. Yes. Uh, that's the problem. <laughs> and as of June, women aren't allowed one. <laughs> <laughs> so, <laughs> only fifty percent of Only 50% of the biscuits are allowed education. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> oh, dear. This is already going terribly wrong. So... <laughs> The Afghans, the Gans, actually came from all over modern India, Pakistan, Iran, and Afghanistan. Some even came from Egypt and Turkey to travel the outback, including, of course, Tur Turkish, Turkish Delight. delight. <laughs> <laughs> Whose delight was anything but delightful after six weeks in the saddle of a camel. <laughs> and they took supplies... Yeah, that's it. You waggle your blistered balls at me. <laughs> yes. Shoving one dollar bills into his pants just to try and soak up the sweat. <laughs> But you can leave your hats on. Oh, please, for the love of God, leave everything else on. <laughs> so, <laughs> Turkish Delight and his friends from around uh, the Middle East and Southern Asia <laughs> took supplies and goods out to remote mines or farming stations and bought back wool and various precious metals. It was really a thriving economy. Through the 1860s, about 3,000 camels were imported to Australia at approximately three-year intervals, with more following as demand increased. The influx of new people bought new religions, and in 1861, 1861, Tom, the first mosque in Australia was built at Marie in South Australia. 
That compares to the UK, which despite ruling over hundreds of millions of Muslims in the British Empire at that time, didn't get a mosque until 1889. Mm. So that's frightfully progressive of Australia. Well done. Interesting mosque facts, yeah. Yeah. Mosque fact of the week. (laughs) (laughs) The Cameleers weren't allowed to bring their families with them, so were mostly young men out looking for adventure. As a result, many married European descendant locals, which quickly caused tensions among the local men, who couldn't understand why the local Australian women were no longer interested in how quickly they could chug a tin of beer, or fight each other, or do whatever it is that 19th, 20th or 21st century Australian men in the outback did to flirt. As tensions grew in the cities, the Cameleers started to associate more and more with Aboriginal Australians, whose land they often passed through, and who, in comparison to the Caucasian Australians, treated them warmly and respectfully. So even Morgans ended up actually marrying into Aboriginal families. There was quite a large Aboriginal Afghan population in Australia in the late 19th century. What's even more interesting is that since most of the people moving around the centre of Australia were now South Asian or Middle Eastern, they bought their lifestyle and architecture with them. Silk Road-style roadhouses, where camels could be rested, popped up in the middle of the Australian outback, kind of Aladdin-style architecture, serving staple dishes from the Indian subcontinent. In mid-19th century Australia, you could get a decent curry in the outback. You could get a cracking curry, which is better than New Zealand. Yeah. Very difficult to get hold of a decent curry. <laughs> I know you've, you've lambasted the quality of New Zealand curry in this uh, podcast before. Yeah. I edited it out and probably will again. At the same time, camel breeding and training stations were established and towns grew around them. These aren't stations where you can breed with camels. <laughs> I quite like the idea. You're a lovely pair of humps. <laughs> it's an ambitious tit. choose tip. that one. It's, it's an ambitious tit wank. <laughs> <laughs> Squeeze them together, will you? (laughs) So towns grew up around these camel breeding and training stations, often with large migrant populations. The famous gold mining town of Coolgardie in Western Australia. The famous gold mining town of Coolgardie. I'm I'm fairly sure you didn't say gold mining the first time. You said mould gining, I think. (laughs) I said mould gining. (laughs) We've been growing mould here for 75 years. (laughs) We need more (laughs) mould. (laughs) <laughs> the reason all the other towns around here are cut more money than us is because they're growing mould on the side and <laughs> flogging it to the rest of the world. Finest mould. Come on, Aus- guys. Genuine Australian yeast infection. That's what we need. Spread <laughs> it around. <laughs> yep, we've nearly Get run out Turkish of... Turkish slide over there. <laughs> Vegemites in short supply. We need... <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So yes, the gold mining and mould gining town of Coolgardie in Western Australia had a population of 5,000 at its peak, which made it the third largest town in Australia. Of the 3,000 males in the town, 300 were Gans, along with many more Chinese labourers. And eventually, when the railways, so we've gone camel trains, now real trains, when the railways began to be built in Australia, they more often than not followed the camel routes. So train stations were built to take on water from the camel stations, and actually the railway builders were supplied by and often guided by camel trains through the outback. So one really came along and and replaced the other. This led to an absolute explosion of commerce in Central Australia, and being Australia, with it an explosion of racist sentiment. Because white Australians were convinced that the Gans were taking their jobs. Because obviously, driving camels (laughs) across the outback is something any Australian would love to and is born to do. 
just putting it out there. It's probably not your job anyway. <laughs> yeah. You haven't been there very long. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Damn Gans coming over here six years later than us. <laughs> Stealing our jobs. <laughs> Riding around on our fucking camels. <laughs> So the Australians, uh, the Caucasian Australians, also argued that the camel train industry should be white-owned, because of course it should. Somewhat unsurprisingly, it was dominated by Muslim businessmen who used their evil Muslimy wiles to import camels and drivers from their home countries. <laughs> so sarcasm aside, there, there were some white Australian cameleers who must have been a very hardy bunch because it was not it was not an easy or particularly pleasant life. So all of this sentiment uh, in 1901 in part resulted in the White Australia policy, which effectively banned any new Gans from arriving in the country. And by the 1920s, this meant that only the original Cameleers and their families, uh, the people they married in Australia, were left. And the industry began to decline because no one knew how to use the camels anymore. Who'd have thought that having got rid of the Gans, the Australians didn't really have any particular inclination to go riding around on camels. And obviously the railways and cars came along in, in greater numbers and started to decline the number of camels. It was around this time, though, that the term GAN got its lasting legacy in Australia because in 1923, the South Australian Railway Company decided to try and encourage passenger services between Adelaide and the town of Udnada. 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 Yeah, that's the one. Which was around 900 kilometres north as the crow flies. And they did this by adding a sleeper car to the normal freight train. By running overnight, they could cut a whole day out of the journey each way. It was quite a slow train. The service wasn't a huge success, though. On the first day, a huge number of press turned up. There were photographers. The train rocked up at 9pm to the town of Corn, famous for being uh, entirely vegetarian with buildings made to look like meat, but really only being a tasteless mushroom-based imitation village. As the train pulled up on the mushy, flavourless platform, a throng of reporters were waiting to take... <laughs> I thought you were going to say it might be a, a small suburb of the bigger town of Foot. Right, that, yes, that, yes. Yeah. That yeah. took me a moment. Corn, foot corn, yes. And of course, the infamous man who liked to stick his dick through the letterboxes of the town of Corn, Corn on the Knob. Well, I was uh, actually going to go for the River Cobb um, nice. that ran through Corn, uh, hence it being named Corn on the Cobb. Yes. Good lexicographical, cartological knowledge. Cartographical knowledge. <laughs> lexicographical, cartographical. Place names. <laughs> so. <laughs> As the train pulled up on the mushy, flavourless platform, a throng of reporters were waiting to take photos of the passengers. But there was only one, an Afghan man who hopped off to pray in a quiet corner before climbing back on the train, <laughs> and it sodded off. <laughs> Whilst he was doing so, the driver joked with the reporter that they'd have to call it the Afghan Express, and the name stuck, quickly being shortened to the GAN. And with a few changes over the years, the GAN still operates today. It's still called the GAN. Its symbol is a camel. And it travels the whole length of Australia from Adelaide in the south to Darwin in the north on the north coast, which is a distance of 3,000 kilometres. That's, that's 1,850 miles, taking about 55 hours to do it. Through the 30s and 40s, the GAN slowly retired or returned to their ancestral homelands as resentment grew from Australians and the steam train replaced the camel train. As they did, thousands of camels were left abandoned and shot by Australian police and thousands more escaped into the wild. <laughs> Why the police? Yeah, oh yes. We've got nothing better to do. <laughs> <laughs> well, Tom, the army was busy fighting the emus. <laughs> <laughs> Quick, call in the police. <laughs> they got camels making a nuisance of themselves. <laughs> he gave police the hump and ended up in the ground. He started off by spitting insults. 
but soon he was spitting the police in a was spitting police bullets. station <laughs> Uh, so thousands of camels were shot by Australian police and thousands more escaped into the wild where by 2008 their numbers had swelled to over a million a million camels in Australia before a mass culling brought the number back down to around 300,000 interestingly but until yeah, the 19th 19- you have got a pair of camel boots you're a fucking idiot <laughs> <laughs> yeah. everyone not- in Australia has got a beautiful pair of camel leather boots right now <laughs> ah to cover their camel toes of course <laughs> no no <laughs> Kylie Minogue. <laughs> yes. <laughs> Same number of syllables. Kylie Minogue, camel toe. <laughs> no, it's not. No, it's not. <laughs> Interestingly, many camels were adopted by rural Australian police forces who ran camel patrols to catch smugglers and robbers in the outback until the late 1950s. So until fairly recently, there were Australian police, mounted armed police, riding around the outback on camels. Anyway, Tom, that is the history of the Afghan camel trains in Australia and how they became the Afghan train. Lovely story. That was very, very interesting. Thank you very much. Oh, you're very welcome. Well, as I mentioned at the start, I'm going much, much older. I think you may have bleeped this out. You may have cut it out. I'm talking about the Dolkos this week. Ooh. It's ancient Greece. Oh. That's a long time ago for something related to the topic of trains. It is. Um, What's it called again? The Dolkos. The Dolkos. Not to be confused, of course, with the Dale Winton, which predates the Greeks by several hundred years. I'm just going to check how you pronounce... Old Dale Winton is. How, how you pronounce Dale Winton. How to pronounce... Because I should have probably done this. If I got it completely wrong, I will ask to re... No, this is a podcast which prides itself on its inability to pronounce Greek words. That's not very helpful. Sorry, that wasn't talking to you. That was talking to the website. <laughs> no, it's entirely possible. I'm not being very helpful either. Uh, right, how to pronounce... Oh, no, I just went to that one and that one didn't help. I might go Dialcos. Anyway, it's uh, often cited as one of the earliest proto-railways. Oh. So it's seen as a, as a... Yeah, something from the formative... No, that doesn't... No, it's definitely not from the formative years of trains. Anyway... I need to start with some Greek geography. Okay, listeners, picture Greece. No, not that Greece. Wipe those images of Olivia Newton. We go John. together like Ramadamadamadamadamaladangadu. However it goes. <laughs> Ramadang, Ramadanadangaladingalo. <laughs> <laughs> Ramadan and a dingo. Is that what goes together? <laughs> we go together like Greece, Macedonia, and bits of Turkey too. Split up forever. <laughs> In a way that embitters everyone involved and who let's have a war over Cyprus. That's the way it should be. The northern Middle East. <laughs> well, I'm actually talking less greased lightning and more greased axles, Sam. Oh. Um, see what it did there. Back on track. Think Greece the country. And if you're struggling with that, grab an atlas and stop being an ignoramus. Well, Greece has a big peninsula in the south. It's the Peloponnese Peninsula. That's a lot of peas. Papa's popular pupils populated the Peloponnese Peninsula. Eating pen- peas. Eating prestigiously, peas. Prodigiously. And indeed, mm. pridefully. The peninsula is quite big. Approximately 22,000 square kilometres. And if you struggle wow. to visualise or comprehend that, it's about 20 times the size of the town of Radom in Poland. Or 10 <laughs> times the size of the Zaya Reservoir in Russia. Or, oh. Yeah, or half the size of Alec Baldwin's sorrow. That joke worked <laughs> two months ago when I wrote my notes. <laughs> it did, didn't it? Yeah, it's uh, somewhat, somewhat rusty now. 
<laughs> the peninsula is connected to the rest of Greece via the Isthmus of Corinth. During the Peloponnesian War, Athens was the dominant city-state north of the Isthmus, and Sparta was the dominant force on the south. The city-state of Corinth was smack bang on the peninsula. Now, the oh, Dioclos, they're caught between a rock and a hard place. Yeah, or a democracy in a hard place. Yeah, yeah. The Diolcus was a man-made road slash tramway built around 600 BC across the Isthmus of Corinth. It joined the Gulf of Corinth, Corinth, with the Sauronic Gulf, not to be confused with the Sardonic Gulf or the Gulf of Sauron. <laughs> or the Gulf of Sauron. I was going to work off the Sardonic Gulf and say, good luck getting across me in that boat, Odysseus. It'd be a shame if I were to fart you off course. <laughs> but I like the Sauronic Gulf, yeah. As the tramway connected two gulfs, some of you will have already twigged that this tramway was used to transport boats and their cargoes across the Isthmus on wheeled vehicles. <laughs> and the Diolcus was only six to eight kilometres long, so four to five miles, and is a totally logical thing to build when the alternative is a massively longer route around the south of the Peloponnese, around some pretty sketchy headlands. Just mm. ask Odysseus. The tramway was made from hard limestone with two grooves cut into it at a regular gauge, approximately 160 centimetres or five foot three inches. And there is some debate as to how deliberate these grooves were. It's quite possible that they were part of the initial tramway. It's also quite possible that they just evolved with wear. Anyone who has been to Pompeii will have seen that the streets have similar grooves. The Diolcos was also in use for around 700 years, so plenty of opportunity to create these grooves from scratch. <laughs> from scratch. I did there. I really, really like it. <laughs> I'm tired of these jokes. Hey. <laughs> oh, sorry, I spoke out of turn. <laughs> I'm going to draw a rim around this and move on. <laughs> I mentioned a moment ago that the tramway was for boats and their cargo. Most of the classical references to the Diolcos are in the context of war, not because war was massively common, but because war is fun and trade isn't. Spears fun, turnips boring, phalanx cool, <laughs> tolls dull. However... <laughs> It is highly You're not wrong. It is highly likely that the primary use no, of the... I mean, let's be honest, no one joins an ancient tax collection reenactment society, do they? <laughs> it's true. Nobody goes to university to study the stuff that most of the lecturers specialise in. <laughs> no. Do they? And not that the lecturers are in any way bitter about that whatsoever. <laughs> You're not interested in the distribution of the denarii in <laughs> 280... Gold. Sumerian grain distribution. Yeah, what is wrong with you? Anyway, I find it fascinating. Yeah, I'm sure your wife finds you fascinating, you boring fuck. However, it is highly likely that the primary use of the Diolcus was for trade, and more specifically, it may have played an important role in transporting materials for the construction of big stone civic and religious buildings, like temples, amphitheatres, forums, etc. It was capable of transporting whole boats, so long as they weren't too big, and would have certainly transported cargo across to another boat to carry on the journey. It's unclear how vehicles made their way along the tramway, but it's not hard to imagine beasts of burden being used, or even possibly winch systems on the steeper sections. It also wouldn't have been impossible for a team of men to pull a boat across. Of course, the number of men would depend on the weight of the vehicles and the fitness of the men. 
five asthmatic fatties might struggle with a dinghy, but five growth hormone-saturated crossfitters could probably manage a lifeboat. (laughs) Wrap his life, man. Hey, I'm going to vom. This is awesome. Vom in the bucket, man. (laughs) Lift through the pain. Elbow twinges are just weakness leaving the body. You're nobody if you haven't got a slip disc, man. <laughs> this brings me nicely on. My... <laughs> Sorry, carry on. Okay. I can just... No, I'm not going to rail against crossfitters because we'll be here for hours and I'll just have to visit it out again. <laughs> this brings me... If there's anything worse than a crossfitter, it's a vegan crossfitter. Oh, that's true. Poor form, poor form. Um, this is something that all crossfitters suffer from. <laughs> ah, this brings me nicely on to the use of the Dolkos in times of war. There are plenty of historical references to the use of the Dolkos during times of war, most interestingly, in my opinion, after the Battle of Actium in 31 BC, Octavian, later Augustus, ordered 260 Liburnians, and that's Liburnians, which is small galleys, not librarians, which are people who work at, or yes. who are people who work at libraries. Hibernians, which are plants. <laughs> or Hibernians, who are Scots, across the Isthmus to pursue the defeated Mark Antony. And can you imagine the bitching and passive-aggressive comments of 260 menopausal librarians on a hike in Greece? <laughs> shh, 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 shh. <laughs> How are we going? They would, have, they would have sounded like a steam train coming oh. along that tra- coming along that ancient <laughs> track. Shh, 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 shh. Shut up! <laughs> Constantly peering at each other over their spectacles. <laughs> yeah. How are we going? To sh- how, how are we going? To sh- no, I need to say something. How are we going to get these boats across the isthmus, then, Karen? You're always the one who is so particular about the returns pile. How about you lead the way? Well, it is a lovely autumn morning and the ground has a lovely wet sheen. Perhaps it would work as a lubricant beneath the boat. Yes, that's it. We'll use the Dewey system. Hey. <clears throat> there you go. Which is the second Dewey system Thank pun you. we've had in this podcast. Interesting fact. <laughs> yes. It's only appeared once second before, I think. fact of the week. <laughs> it's not about mosques, but anyway. <laughs> yeah. Here's some quotes now to finish us off. So Thucydides... That was a laboured joke, but I quite enjoyed it. I enjoyed how not worth it the punchline was. (laughs) (laughs) I do as well. (laughs) So this is uh, Thucydides, History of the Peloponnesian War. How long is this quote? Am I going to have to cut it back? No, I'm not. And the Lacedaemonians, (laughs) Lacedaemonians and their confederates, when they had heard... Lacer, 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 Lacedaemonians. You come... Sorry, carry on. You raid and go. You raid <laughs> and, and go. go. Always creating <laughs> confederate leagues with the lesbians, making invasions yeah. into Attica. Life would be easy if your phalanx was like my dreams. <laughs> Made of ice cream. I have weird dreams. We're going to have to stop this now. So here's a quote. And, and the Lacedaemonians and their confederates, when they'd heard and allowed their reasons, decreed not only a league with the lesbians, but also again to make an invasion into Attica. And to that purpose, the Lacedaemonians appointed their confederates there present to make as much speed as they could with two parts of their forces into the Ismuth, Ismuth, and Ismuth. <laughs> Pugilist. Say it before you do. If you didn't, I would. (laughs) And they themselves being first there. The invasion of Chris Eubank. (laughs) (laughs) First, we must forge the Isthmus. Then, we must scale the Great Eubank. (laughs) Nice. Yeah, right. 
<laughs> okay. Um, <laughs> carrying on the quote with the quote. And they themselves being first there prepared engines in the isthmus for the drawing up of galleys with the intention to carry the navy from Corinth to the other sea that lieth towards Athens and set upon them both by sea and land. There you go. This is Polybius in his histories. Now though Demetrius had enriched himself by his island expedition, he had had to beat an ignominious retreat owing to the Rhodians putting out to sea to attack him. He was therefore glad to accede to the request of Taurion, as the latter undertook the expense of having his galleys dragged across the isthmus. He accordingly got them across, and arriving two days after the passage of the Aetolians, plundered some places on the seaboard of Aetolia and then returned to Corinth. There you go, another reference to it. This is Livy, the history of Rome. His friends on the next day bore to his ship the king, now in possession of his faculties, and then, having drawn their vessel across the neck of the isthmus, they cross over to the Aegean. Presumably that was a stag too. <laughs> <laughs> took the king a few days to be in the possession of his faculties again <laughs> once he unchained himself from that Corinthian column <laughs> managed, to, managed to find himself a toga of some kind oh dear probably went on to the uh, Turkish coast had a bit of a striptease from old Turkish delight <laughs> um, He's uh, Strabo, Strabo. <laughs> Woke up in the morning with his mouth covered in icing <laughs> sugar. <laughs> oh, dear. Business card slips into his pocket. <laughs> this is Strabo, Strabo geography. At the width of the isthmus at the Dioclus where the ships are hauled overland from one sea to the other, is 40 stadia. As I have already said. All right. And, and here's <laughs> yeah. probably the... And I won't say it again. <laughs> but if you'd read the earlier paragraph, you would have remembered that. <laughs> now, this is going to be potentially quite a difficult one to enact. This is a passage from Aristophanes. The Thesmophoria zue say as I as Cause the Thesmophoria solves the eyes That's the one, which is a play by uh, Aristophanes. And it involves uh, a lady called First Woman who. <laughs> a lady called First Woman. The original, yeah, yeah. originally named. <laughs> yeah. Imaginatively named, sorry. <laughs> so Cleisthenes is uh, a male. Mycelocus, Mycelocus um, is the third individual, and this is also a man. Okay, so First Woman. You're talking nonsense here, Cleisthenes. This is a man you were telling us about. Cleisthenes. What should we do with him? First woman. Take off his clothes. I can get nothing out of him. Uh, Mesolocus. What? Are you going to strip a mother of nine children naked? Cleisthenes. Come, undo your girdle, you shameless thing. First woman. Ah, what a sturdy frame, but she has no breasts like we have. Reference to, referring to the man. Mesolocus. That's because I'm barren. I never had any children. First woman. Oh, indeed. Just now you were the mother of nine. Cleisthenes. Stand up straight. What do you keep pushing that thing down for? First woman peering from behind. There's no mistaking it. Cleisthenes also peering from behind. Where has it gone to now? First woman to the front. Cleisthenes <laughs> from in front. No. First woman from behind. Ah, it's behind now. Cleisthenes. Why, friend, it's just like the isthmus. You keep pulling your stick backwards and forwards more often than the Corinthians do their ships. <laughs> That was a, a long and confusing passage about wiggling your dick. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. I'm glad you worked it out because it took me a while. <laughs> when, I, when I was writing my notes to... Uh, well, no, when I was rereading my notes earlier on today to work out what it was about. But yes. It's, it's not the most 
snappily written piece. No, it's not particularly straightforward, but you're all right. Uh, this is a uh, chap pretending to be a woman, tucking his balls in. Um, they keep on popping out. And then swinging them forward when someone goes around the back, and then popping them back between <laughs> his legs, and then swinging them forward again. To be fair, that's quite funny. <laughs> For some reason I'm imagining this happening in a kind of a Looney Tunes, Warner Brothers-esque kind of way. Or Benny Hill. <laughs> Which, incidentally, we criticise Italian TV for being really rather sexual. There is a channel, free to air, in the UK, which seems to constantly play Benny Hill. And there's a lot of bikinis and innuendo um, in Benny Hill. In fact, I think that's pretty much it. Yes. I mean, to be fair, Benny Hill was from the, what, 70s, early 80s? Oh, yeah, I'd say, I'd say, yeah, I'd say late 70s through the 80s. Um, Really not very funny. It's basically just Benny Hill going around the place making silly faces when someone, when a lady puts their boobs in his face. Ooh, that sort of thing. Top hole entertainment, Tom. Top hole entertainment. Mm. Don't make them like that anymore. No, they don't. No, they don't. So that is that is a diolkos, 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 diolkos. <laughs> oh, that's fascinating. And what a, what a brilliantly Greek engineering solution as well. Yeah, well, yeah. I mean, I don't think it's that complicated, really. It doesn't take well, a genius. They had winches and stuff. Well, yeah, possibly. Yeah. Uh, water slides. And someone had the someone had the the nous to actually build the thing. Someone made that to carry boats. I think that's pretty cool. And someone also didn't sign it. That's very selfless of that individual. It, well, that's true. Or they did, and it just got run over numerous hundreds times. of thousands of times over yeah. the years and got ground out. Yeah. But it was in use for 700 years. I mean, that is pretty, that's yeah. pretty amazing, isn't it? Thinking back two months to when I researched this, there is archaeological evidence of the Dilkos as well, not just these references in classical literature, but not really extensive archaeological evidence of it. So there are certainly areas that have been excavated of the Dilkos where it, where it reaches the sea. I think I saw some pictures. So it would be very, very interesting to have a good look at if you're an archaeologist, I'm sure. But then archaeologists are boring people. They are. Yeah. <laughs> I was trained as one by some, and... Were you? We are dull as. Is that a sort of master's, d- or is that as part of your degree? No, no, I just did some... I just did a department degree. Did you? What did you go and dig up? Where did they take you to show you how to dig Nothing. shit up? Nothing. They didn't hide um, something for you, did they? They didn't... Uh, for a bit yeah. of fun. <laughs> I hit a turkey, yeah. Yeah, my uh, lecturer hit a Turkish delight in his trousers. No, no, not like that. Maybe go after it with a toothpaste, with <laughs> no. a toothbrush. I was thinking, I don't know, first year student. Uh, so time to take a deep breath, bury him three yeah. foot under, and say, right, we're going to... No, do you know what they didn't... Boom! They didn't even... Didn't even let us do any digs. It was all acad- it was all academical. It was, it was oh, academic. Mean, surely... It was learning from books about how to be an archaeologist. <laughs> oh, God. I mean, surely of all things, that's something you can do um, on site. You don't have to do that <laughs> from a gonna... book, do you? No, we just had to wear our hard hats in the lecture theatre. Did you? No. <laughs> Health and safety. Hi, Viz. Did you have a really <laughs> short pair of cut-off denim shorts? <laughs> I did, yes. Yeah, to go and do and a pla- and a plaid shirt with a, yeah, with a high vis vest. Yeah, nice. And a big pair yep. of boots, and nice high socks, nice woolly, so yep. cashmere wool socks. Definitely. Mm. And, and uh, a bollock dangling out. One bollock dangling out. Every and time. A trowel, a trowel so short and stubby it looked like a flat screwdriver. Yeah, yeah. 
lunging over the <laughs> the attractive females. <laughs> who are st- the attractive female undergrads. Right. Enough of that. <laughs> that was very interesting, Tom. Very interesting. Thank you. Thank you. Do you want to do some audience feedback, Tom, other than saying thank you to everyone for all your messages of care, calm, Merry Christmas, when you're coming back? Where's my refund? Lots of feedback regarding Art Attack, which we mentioned in one of our previous podcasts. Yes, several several previous episodes. And, and from all over the globe as well. People saying that Neil Buchanan, he, he's, he got everywhere. He's a global superstar. He's like Pitbull, Mr. Late, Worldwide. Yeah. Name three cities that Neil Buchanan's been there. And Pitbull has sung a song about it. Come to think of it, you never see them in the same room. No, you don't. And then we had uh, John Decker. This is quite a long message, actually. Hi, guys. As an American, I absolutely hate your podcast. It makes me think that cunt is an appropriate word for my neighbours, and in America it is not. It's not actually (laughs) in Britain either. It's not really an appropriate word for a podcast, to be perfectly honest. I listen to your podcast while I'm doing yard work. Nearly every time that I listen to your podcast while cutting the lawn or planting trees on my acre in southern Maine, I find animal bones. I'm not talking about rats or birds. I'm referring to large animals like cows, pigs or horses. Come to think of it, I really hope they are animal bones. The house is 115 years old. It is quite a long message or so and was supposedly owned by the people that started the Hood ice cream brand. I don't know any of the history other than an old lady named Gertrude lived here for a while, quite a while and planted every invasive species she could possibly order from the Sears and Roebrox catalogue of the early 1900s. Maybe the animals were the the remains of the ones that were rendered to make the ice cream there. Possibly, yeah. That's an interesting Ben and Jerry's, isn't it? (laughs) (laughs) Put down horse (laughs) flavour. Red rum. (laughs) (laughs) Red rum and glue, yeah. (laughs) Yeah. Anyway, he finishes with, your podcast is actually quite fun. Keep it up. I only mentioned that I hate it because you said you don't get any hate mail anymore. Oh, You're welcome. bless you. Thank you. Um, thank you, John. That is very kind of you. I can't remember when he sent that message, but it would have been a while ago. Sorry, incidentally, listeners, if you uh, have sent us a message in the last two months, and I'm not reading it out now because I've had problems logging into our email account. So I'm basically relying on the notes that I, read, I wrote two months ago. Yes. Um, Google Alan- has essentially decided that Tom is, quite rightly... I must say, uh, a terrible fraudster. <laughs> Complete charlatan. An absolute <laughs> piss profit. Alan actually put in brackets, read on a public episode, please, needy bastard. I'm not sure no. I'm supposed to read out that. <laughs> hey, guys, how's it going? Greetings from the colonies. Love the pod. Thanks for the entertainment. Alan from Canada. And then what else? We've got a, a chap called, or a lady called Arc Sheet. I think, very interesting stories. from. Oh, this is probably a, an iTunes review I think very interesting stories from history most that I've never heard and the hosts make it funny highly recommend very funny and interesting thank you Arcsheet and if anyone else fancies reviewing us on uh, their podcast platform of choice um, yeah it'd be very very welcome please do as long as it's five stars yes any less than that you can keep it to yourself <laughs> and that's that. and then there's a massive gap of two months worth that I wasn't able to list because I couldn't log into our email account no today. well thank you everyone let me just oh, we got we got lots of messages and thank you all we did we did really appreciate them we'll try and spread some more out over the next few episodes good idea very good idea so next week it's back to uh, back to life back to reality for our patrons with an episode all about you and me how nasty or nice are we gonna have to be 
Is it a free well, I'm going to go, be quite narcissistic. <laughs> yeah. Oh, you're doing um, yourself, are you? So we're just no, both no. going to do you. So it's actually going to be an episode on Please. Sam. <laughs> <laughs> Please. No, no, I'm doing you, you're doing me, and yeah. I think we should, I, you know, if you want to go nasty, go nasty. I won't take it with offence that you found a namesake of mine who was even more of a twat than me. <laughs> I found a person called Sam who is the first person to be found with a gerbil up his bum in A&E. <laughs> just like you. Yeah, it sounds perfect. Do that one. In the meantime, audience, it's great to be back, as usual, after a little break. This has been a slightly chaotic episode. Hopefully it'll all wash out in the edit. It's really good to be back. Thank you for your patience, or your lack of patience, those of us who sent us messages to tell us to stop being such layabouts. (laughs) It feels good to be back. It's good to laugh again, Tom. It's good to laugh. Yeah, you've got to laugh, haven't you? If you don't war with you, if you ain't going to laugh, what have you got, Sam? Well, if you ain't going to laugh, you're probably listening to That Was Genius, a little history podcast in which Tom and Sam discuss history stories on a theme each week. Feel free to follow us. Our Facebook group is That Was Genius, a funny history podcast group. And if you want to hear next week's exclusive episode all about Tom and Sam, then you can find it at patreon.com slash thatwasgenius, where you get lots of exclusive episodes and other nice things too. Right, Tom, should we say goodbye? Goodbye. Goodbye. Goodbye.